It's time for the Daily Stand-Up Podcast presented by Agile Dad with your host, Lee Henson. Without any further ado, let's get started. All right, I appreciate all the articles coming in lately. This has been awesome. Somebody just sent me one and it's a little bit older, but I thought it'd be worth it because I loved where it was going. The article was titled The Seven Dysfunctions of Scrum. And uh, I want to talk about these seven dysfunctions and see if I agree or disagree or what I have to say about them. And uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. So let's get this thing kicked off. Let's get this party started. The first dysfunction of Scrum is the myth of perfect predictability. The fact is there will always be unknowns. There will be unknown unknowns. Most teams I've been on want to get better at everything, including estimation. That's to be commended and encouraged. However, I've also seen uh, that try, that extend to trying to find a way to eliminate all unknowns. Uh, let me give you a hint. After 12 years working in software, I've never seen a team even come close. Okay, let's pause there. I don't know that anyone ever required perfect predictability. But what I do know is that 17% predictability sucks. And that is about where you're at if you're using time-based estimation. If you go down the road of using planning poker or trying to tie time to story points, you, you can up that to about 25 to 30%. But good predictability is in that 80 to 85% range. That's rare and hard to come by. You are correct. However, if you do it correctly by taking time out of the equation, you should be able to, within three to six sprints, get to that 85% predictability mark. Um, so I, I don't know that I agree it's a myth. It's possible. You just have to make some changes. So if you're willing to change, I can get you there in three to six sprints. All right, let's go to the next one because I think it ties directly into this one. It says here, good estimates take time. For really good estimates for work, take time to pull together. The more accurate you want your estimates, the more time it will take. Sometimes it's worth the trade-offs, but sometimes it's not. I'm starting to think this author is a pessimist. It's also possible to try, it's also possible to spend more time trying to uncover all the unknowns than it is to just get started and do the work. Okay, let's pause. Good estimates do not need to take time. If I look at a window or a wall, I can tell you if you give me a baseline, whether it's smaller or larger than the baseline, it's just that simple. I think that if you get people in the right mindset where they're measuring volume instead of time, and what the, the irony here is this goes on for two to three paragraphs, and in one of the paragraphs, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, there's seven mentions of time just in the first you know, few lines. What I'm trying to say is I think that when you start really going down this path of time, it gets people to the point where they get frustrated because the truth is, even if you hired a skilled set of painters to paint your home, each painter is going to have different tools, different levels of experience. They're going to have different techniques. And the point is to paint the same wall may take each one of them a different amount of time, but the size of the wall never changes. The moral of the story is if that paint crew stays together for some time, you'll be able to predict how many walls they can paint because even if you start the least experienced painter on the hardest wall, the most experienced painter will catch up. If you start the least experienced painter on the easiest, least experienced painter on the easiest wall, those painters are going to meet somewhere in the middle. So no matter what, you're still going to get the end result of the same number of walls being painted. And I think that's the part that people get hung up on. Good estimates don't take time. Learning how to provide good estimates takes a little bit of time. And I, I encourage you to do that. Okay, let's go to number three. Number three says emphasis on zero. In strict scrum, you commit to a set of sprinkles at the beginning of a sprint and should have it completed by the end. Although on most teams I've been on, we've skipped the goals and just picked a set of tasks. Okay, here we go. And 
this to me, when you're talking about dysfunction, um, I don't know if this is more of a confessional by this individual <laughs> or if it's really them discussing how to overcome these dysfunctions or if they're just frustrated with Scrum because they're on such a dysfunctional you know, team or unit. Um, what I can tell you is, you know, and, and when I say get to zero, they're talking about burn down. Okay. And once again, what's burn down focused on time? What's time focused on inefficiency? And, and then they try to tie the time to points. And yeah, this is, it doesn't surprise me that you're having this issue. The emphasis shouldn't be on burning down all of the things in the backlog. That's a fact. The emphasis should be on, are we providing the work that's going to give the best impact and uh, result in the best outcome? I want, I want happy customers in the end. I don't care. As long as, it, as long as what we do fits in the sprint boundaries and we can have something that's potentially shippable, I don't care if it takes you one hour one day. I just want you to get her done. And I think that's the key. And I think that's what this person is trying to say. We just picked a set of tasks and move on. My, my, uh, my question would be, why did you even break it down into tasks if you didn't have to, right? I would have focused on picking a goal that delivered impact, not focused on breaking things down into tasks. I don't care how long it takes you to do the tasks. Not signing up for all the tasks, signing up the story level and getting people to do the work. Ta-da. It's pretty simple that way, right? So if you think about it, um, that, that one should be easy to overcome as well. Predictable equals a pretty burned down chart. Okay. That's, I'm just going to come right out again. I don't even have to read this one. The burned down chart is not your key to predictability. I'm going to say it one more time. Burned down does not equal predictability. Burn up equals predictability. If you can get a burn up going and you can use story points to leverage and you can create a cone of uncertainty where you can, you know, talk about the best possible and worst possible scenario, you can get that cone of predictability to 85%. And I think that this person's just frustrated because they're using burn downs in time and it's not working out, which that, that makes sense. It totally makes sense. How about this? Five points aren't everything. Guess what? I'm going to correct it right now. Points can be everything, meaning that if you understand how to represent points and if you understand, uh, you know, if this person's going down a rabbit hole of, I understand in strict strum, you, you, you shouldn't add points to bugs or defects. And what about this? Or what about research? And, okay, let's pause for a second. And then they call out a two-point task to cover all the tech lead work I do. This person, they, they want a point to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's just, if you live and die by story points, you're right. Points aren't everything. But if you use story points correctly to leverage them for predictability, you can really get your money's worth out of points. I just think organizations struggle because they don't know how. They don't know how to do it with services teams. They don't know how to do it with organized work. They don't know how to leverage it for predictability. And uh, yeah, it, it becomes a big hassle. I think this is becoming a theme. I'm, I'm almost done with this podcast. Thank goodness. It's number six, expecting velocity to match calendar time. Velocity isn't time. I mean, this is like asking, you know, oh, you have a beautiful baby. How many gallons does your baby weigh? Not water in mercury. <laughs> you know, it just, you're asking a wrong question. Right. And, and the, the fact that the first sentence in this paragraph says on some level, velocity does indicate the time it will take to complete that that is false. That is false, false, false. I'll say it again. False. Right. Story points never match the time. They shouldn't. 
They shouldn't. And I hear people say, well, what about the number of points we could do in a two-week sprint? Two weeks is time, right? I'm like, no, two weeks is just a label. The sprint is a container. If you think of the sprint as a jar or a bottle or a box, it's how much work can you fit in that box? It doesn't mean anything to do with the time. Yes, it has time-based time uh, you know, start date and end date, but you're not trying to figure out a map each task into that box. What you're trying to do is say, in this window or in this box, this many painters can paint this many walls. That's what you need to do. If you've ever gotten an estimate before for someone to paint the interior or exterior of your home, if you've ever gotten an estimate for someone to you know, install windows or clean windows, it's the same thing. Every organization in the world for ages has had a formula they can use to figure out. Auto mechanics. Yes, auto mechanics have billable hours, quote unquote, but they know that for the average person to do this job, it takes this amount of time. And how do they know that? Because they have 17,051,300 trillion you know, entries where people have done it. But does it mean that everyone will do it in that time? No. But what they've done is they've said, because we don't know how long it's going to take in time, let's take the size of the job and equate it to something. And it's the perfect example where they took the size or scope of the job, equated it to time, which equated to money. And that was the only way they could translate it, right? What I'm saying is take the step out of the middle and just translate the point to, you know, to, to the cost. Uh, you can totally do that but you should never be translating points to time. Finally, I don't know where this one came from. Ineffective stand-up for number seven. <laughs> That's random. Uh, I've basically never seen a stand-up be super effective. I'm not saying it's not possible. I've just never seen it in 12 years. Okay, I'm a pause. Stand-ups can be super effective once again if you understand how to facilitate them. And it makes me sad to think that this person is really, really struggling with this function and with things that are going on. I'm not going to say her whole name, but I'll say her first name is Joy. So Joy, what I want to tell you is if you listen to this episode, I am inviting you to come to any one of my classes free of charge so that I can help you overcome all these dysfunctions and understand how to do things better so that you can actually be happy at work instead of miserable. That's going to do it for today. <laughs> I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. Oh my goodness, it was funny for me. Uh, if you have a topic you want to discuss, feel free to reach out. Learn more at AgileDad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, we encourage you to stay healthy, stay well, and stay agile, my friends. Until next time, do take care.